Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hire first for character and values right. and integrity. Everything else can be taught. We looked for people that we knew were going to become allies for each other and want to create the right environment for each other. If there's even a bit of a flag during the interview process on that, those folks are out. Do these people look like they're learners? Have they reached their ceiling or are they actually still on an upward trajectory in their career and in their skill set and what they're doing? If we don't have great diversity, in the teams that are building the technology, then there'll be bias in the technology that gets built. Does this person speak English? Because with her name, it sounds like there might be an accent issue. So like that in itself has been like- It's so problematic. Hey guys, welcome back. In today's episode, I talked to Shimona Mehta, who is none other than the managing director of EMEA for Shopify, which is an incredible job title. And we talk about her whole career, how she kind of worked her way up in corporate. She started in consumer goods, moved over to tech. I think we touched on quite a few very important points, if I do say so myself. I personally learned a lot throughout the course of the podcast. And we talk particularly about learning how to lead, I think is one of the really, really, really important things. I think as you move up through your career, especially in the corporate side, it's really natural that you get good at your job and become a manager, whereas you're not necessarily taught how to lead and learning just how you're meant to lead and how you're meant to be a good people person and a good people manager is really important part of that. Um, So we talk about that. We also talk about imposter syndrome quite a lot in depth and also Shimona's experience being a woman of colour, leading in tech, a woman in tech. I think that, you know, she's been able to share some really, really valuable insights into her journey and her career. And I, I think this will be an incredibly helpful episode, especially for people who are within the corporate world, working their way up through their career and especially women. She's been so open and honest and imparted a lot of wisdom. So I really hope you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. Um, I always love having people on here that, you know, my network is very founder rich. It always will be because, you know, that's what I do and I'm going to be connected with people who are kind of doing a similar thing to me albeit far better than I do it I really really love talking to people who are in different career paths and I think that that can be really really valuable because I particularly think that the corporate world isn't necessarily shown in mainstream media in terms of things like podcasts so yeah I thought this was a great episode I hope you enjoy and as always have an amazing week Shimona Mehta is an acclaimed tech pioneer with extensive experience in retail, technology, food and beverage. Delving deeper, Shimona and I get real on female leadership in the tech industry, touching on the uphill battle for women to reach the top and also to feel like they belong there. We also, at the end, have a little Q&A on side hustles. We answer all your questions from Instagram on when you should leave your other job, how you should build your business, how you should just start, how you should overcome your fear of failure. And Shimona imparts some really, really valuable advice that I personally learned a lot from. We're just going to dive straight into it. Thank you so much for joining me today. (laughs) So good to be here. Thanks for having me. I want to get straight into a kind of whistle-stop tour of your career because I think that what I really want to talk to you about is the fact that like you've had such an incredible journey in getting to such an incredible top job. And I feel like a lot of what we see in the media is all about entrepreneurship. It's all about like really fast kind of rise to like this one thing and there's not a lot out there about actually kind of corporate climbing the ranks like going exactly to kind of where you've got to and all of that Mm -hmm. and I'd really like to explore that more and kind of talk about your journey for people who are kind of on that route as well just to kind of set the scene could you give us a little whistle stop tour of your career in kind of a few bullet points if possible I'll try I'll start actually towards the end of university Mm -hmm. because my original intention actually I was doing sociology and women's studies Mm -hmm. because I thought I was going to go into social work okay Um, I had this I've just always had that passion to somehow want to change and positively impact the world and so that's how I thought I was going to do it 
I ended up taking a year off of school and ended up in Sri Lanka working for an NGO called Women in Need, Mm -hmm. helping women and children victims of domestic violence and rape. And I did that for about six months and realized that was not how I was going to be able to spend my career. It's it's just so emotionally heavy. Like the people who are in social work are a special kind of Mm -hmm. angel. And I just, I didn't feel like I had the strength to do that. So that got scrapped. Now I end up leaving school with literally no idea what I'm going to do. In fact, my first job, my mom got me really at her company, which was a consumer goods company. It was a chicken and fish company in Canada where I was raised. And I fell into marketing, really. Um, I was in consumer relations. I was in marketing, really decided I liked that. Like I liked product development and, you know, uh, and connecting with customers. I did that for a little while, but I realized it was just it was just so slow moving, mm-hmm. right? And it was a really predictable world to land yourself in when you're when you're in the consumer goods world, right? It grows a certain percentage every single year. Right. And, and they're very predictable career paths, right? Two years as a product manager, two years as a brand manager, two years right. as a senior. And I started to learn, okay, I don't like predictability. Mm-hmm. I need something more. And I wanted to learn how to shape things. So I ended up flipping over. I went customer facing, uh, and I was working for a global market research company, which was fun because now I was sitting in a room with like VPs of sales and marketing and those that were actually creating the plans and strategies for their organizations, also still in the food and restaurant industry. So it was a lot of fun because I got to be in the room for those things and learn how that happened. But once again, really slow moving, predictable world, not a lot of growth, so not a lot of innovation. And so again, realized I need something more. I want to build stuff. I want to grow. Mm-hmm. And that is when actually I made my transition over to, to tech. First with a, a scale-up that was actually out of Berlin that was looking to do North American Amazing. and South American expansion and building their sales organizations. And it was so much fun. And then most recently, the last six, seven years now at Shopify, first to build Shopify Plus, which was you know kind of our large business kind of enterprise arm that we were just starting to build and, and figure out. Um, and then to build EMEA for us for the last few years as well here in London. When you wanted to make that change from consumer to tech, yeah. how did you know that that was a, because I feel like we often get onto career paths, especially more in the corporate world. Yeah. And when you're in a job that has a kind of very set path, it's easy to have that kind of invested time fallacy where you think that because you've spent x amount of time Mm. in this you have to go forward in this otherwise you're almost scrapping all of the time you've spent in things rather than going back and and just kind of sidestepping almost and being like actually I'm going to go up this stage how did you kind of gather the confidence to be able Mm. to sidestep and say do you know what consumer goods I can now do tech great question it was a really hard decision actually Mm -hmm. I had a ton of fear At the time, I was doing really well. I was the director of Canada for our food and restaurant business. Uh, I had great mentors. I had a really well laid out like path for myself at this company that I was at. You know, people I liked to work with. It was all great. Uh, So this really was about taking a risk. And I was incredibly fearful, to be honest. Mm -hmm. It was actually my parents that said to me, you know, Shimona, nothing in life is irreversible. Mm -hmm. Why don't you just give it a shot? If it doesn't work out... You've built a great career here. You have people who respect you. You've got supporters. Mm. You can come back, right, in some capacity if it doesn't work. But what have you got to lose, right? And that was my first lesson that almost everything in life is a Mm. two-way door. And I think that we often treat everything as a one-way door. And I feel like it's a a lot of the time as well, it's been from previous generations where the thing really is you earn your stripes and something for like 30, 40 years, then you get your success and then you move from there. Whereas like we very much have kind of move towards more of this idea of the kind of portfolio career, both in terms of self-employment, in terms of side hustles, but also in terms of actually how you build your career. Like you might be in a direct path, but you're going to have a different take on that direct path to this person next to you. You're going to have different skills that are going to mean that you can do it well. And like, that is your superpower. But I feel like it is still terrifying. And there is still very much in your head, this idea that actually, if I sidestep industry or job role or completely change it rather than building on the experience I already have we have in our brain that it's kind of like square one rather than just stepping onto a different ladder a hundred percent you're absolutely right I think that was our parents generation whereas now and I talked to a lot of our younger women at Shopify about this Mm. because we have a lot of folks that are you know kind of beginning of their careers 
is careers are long, mm-hmm. right? There's so many paths that you can potentially take and, and there's so much to learn, but there's also for me particularly, a lot of like my career path up until now has really been what I call kind of a journey in self-awareness. Mm. Like, what am I actually good at? What do I want to do? What is the impact I want to have on this world? Like, where do I get my fulfillment, mm. right? Versus feeling you needed to have to make that, made that decision at 21 in school and then just keep doing that. Well, that is what's so insane is that if yeah. you track your, the start of your career back to when you first graduate or when you first leave school, you think about it as a linear progression from essentially from there before then you chose subjects for exams especially in the UK you obviously have to whittle down to literally four subjects if you're doing a level or three subjects if you're doing a levels and before that you need to choose four specialist subjects um with your GCSEs so it's kind of like you actually go back and realize that you've chosen your career at 15 or 14. Can you imagine? Which is insane. insane. I mean, it makes absolutely no sense and I think that the more we can get into our heads that you're never taking a step backwards if you look ahead and you think I'm doing this for 40 more years. Like, if you really kind of think about it, I'm going to do it for 40 more years or at least a few more decades. There is nothing that two years or three years sidestepping or going maybe like a tiny bit down to go up is going to ruin about that. That's, if anything, it can kind of make that better, which I think we're probably not taught as much because it's, you know, it's risk-taking. It is risk-taking. And when you were working up at your previous company and then also when you moved over to tech, what would you say the biggest challenges you kind of faced in terms of moving up through the ranks kind of traditionally? I know you said that there was a pretty set career path. Did you find that quite easy? Did you find it happened usually on time when you were expecting those promotions? Mm, I find, I found, so I'm generally an impatient person. Right. Probably why I needed to end up in tech where I could build things and I could really be a part of like how we drive forward. Um, So I usually found that things were not happening at the pace that I wanted to Mm -hmm. um, because I wanted to learn. That's one of the things I've realized, right? I need to be learning and growing and getting better or I'm bored and stagnant. Mm -hmm. Um, And so what I found, particularly the first part of my career, is I started to jump to make the next step happen, Mm -hmm. right? So if there's no space in this medium-sized company that's growing 3% a year to move up, great, then I'm going to go find that at another company. That was how I kind of built progression for myself. Mm -hmm. But by the time I got to Shopify, actually, what I started to realize at that point is I wasn't getting fulfillment about like a title change or a raise. Mm-hmm. Where I was getting fulfillment was who am I working with? What am I building? Who am I leading? Like, and, and do I get to build with my values? So again, a little bit of a self-awareness journey for me too. hundred percent. And just getting to, getting to know yourself throughout the process. Obviously your, your job now is, I mean, it's an incredible title and I have no doubt that the actual work is just as incredible and just you know fulfills you so much as well as just kind of that title but how did that feel at that moment that you got promoted and what was kind of the story around that to you becoming the managing director Ooh, so here's actually how I I approached my time here at Shopify for the Mm -hmm. last six years because I had come to that realization that it wasn't just about like titles and raises Mm -hmm. and and anything like that anymore. I picked Shopify because I really loved what they were doing and I really fell in love with the people that I met. Right. Right. And so I realized very early that Shopify was going to be a really special place to grow and build as we've seen over the last six years and, and what they've been able to do. Uh, And so I told my bosses really early on, I was like, listen, if I get to work with you guys, because we were really aligned in values, Mm -hmm. if I get to build stuff, and if I get to be building and leading people, those are the three things I need. You can ask me to do anything you want, and I'll say yes, Mm -hmm. because I just want to enjoy my ride here. And what I committed to them then was always to make decisions based on what was best for Shopify. Uh, we were growing incredibly fast, as mm-hmm. you know. I mean, you and I have been talking about. So I really, I committed to out learning everyone as well. Mm-hmm. I was always trying to be prepared and learning for what was like what they were going to need to ask of me next. That's actually how I ended up progressing into, you know, ending up in London. You know, from Toronto, moving to London, being the MD of EMEA here was. I was just trying to set myself up for. I was just trying to set us up for. Yeah. What do we need to do next? How do I be prepared to help with that? Right. If you need to tap me on the shoulder. Am I ready, right? Am, or are you going to have someone that you can look to be like, can you go help with this? Which is actually how it happened. And they're like, hey, could you go to London and start to build the EMEA organization for us? Remember, you said you'd say yes to yeah, anything. Exactly, I'll hold that over you. Yeah, and so it was like, yeah, sure, absolutely. It's an adventure. Why not? Yeah, I mean, it, that's incredible. And I also feel like it's 
what you've said there about it being less I mean it's important obviously for us especially as women to never think that a title is too big for us like and never absolutely be like not. do you know what that that wouldn't make sense for me it w- absolutely would make sense for yeah. you and that for you kind of even to think that is important but I also think even just the point there about being less about the title more about putting yourself in that position in the way that you're constantly learning you're constantly progressing you're constantly solving problems and you're a yes person like you're going to be saying yes to opportunities and saying yes to things that you probably feel absolutely terrified to do and it says a lot about rather than aiming for the title so much as putting yourself in the role in the way you act the way you learn all of those things which I absolutely love then when you moved to London how did you set out going do you know what okay Shopify I can do that here when I first joined Shopify in 2017 for Shopify Plus we were focused really that year and just starting to build some of the core of our team there Mm -hmm. Um, but it became really clear to us early on that there was just enough demand and momentum coming at us that we were just going to have to start growing in both an APAC as well as an EMEA faster than we thought. Mm-hmm. So we'd actually started from, you know, Toronto itself to start to hire people remotely and put them out here. Right. So we had a few folks that we'd been hiring and, and, and building here in London. So we, it was great because we had a core group of people that were super passionate, mm-hmm. that were driving for us, that loved being in front of our merchants. And so when I got here in 2019... We had a nice tight group of folks that was, you know, somewhere 12 to 20 people at that point. Mm. That was a good starting point. Yeah. Uh, And then we promptly ended up in COVID Mm -hmm. and all the lockdowns. And so honestly, the journey for the last few years has been a few things. One is building the organization. Mm -hmm. I'm a really firm believer that if you've got the right people in place, everything else falls from that, right? Because you can't, as a leader particularly, like I can't do everything myself. If all of our success is right. going to be on my shoulders, we're effed. Yeah. So I better find some really, really great people that I want to build with the same way that I was looking at my leaders before it, right? So the first step was to build a senior leadership team. And with that comes then the creativity, the experience, the know-how to think through how we figure out our path forward. And how did you choose those people? I feel like my experience with hiring, so as I mentioned before, we pretty much doubled our headcount within the past six months and it's been really exciting. And I'd say that before that, before I knew the types of people we wanted to hire, I definitely kind of didn't know how to hire in terms of I would always hire for experience rather than fit. Mm. And actually you know, hiring for the type of person is really, really, really important. Of course, them having the experience and the skill set is incredibly, I mean, you need it, but also hiring the wrong types of people for the types of culture you have is also not going to work. So how did you know who were the right types of people? And did you kind of make any mistakes in that? Yes. So there's a few things that I'm adamant about when I'm hiring. In fact, I've always said to my team that if there's anything in leadership I'm I'm good at or Mm. my superpower, I think it's hiring because I think I put together good teams and I tell them that they're the, they're the example of that because I think they're phenomenal. So I'd say first and foremost, hire first for, for character and values and integrity. Mm -hmm. Everything else can be taught, right? Mm Skill sets and all of those things, those can be built on. You can never teach character or integrity. So that is my grounding. If there's even a bit of a flag during the interview process on that, those folks are out. Yeah. That's where I start. And then I always look for slope instead of intercept. What I mean by that is, do these people look like they're learners? Have they reached their ceiling or are they actually still on an upward trajectory in their career and in their skill set and what they're doing versus hiring for that point in time? Because when we're in hyper growth organizations, what you need today is very different than three months from now, right? Mm -hmm. And so are you hiring people that are going to be able to grow with and keep up with the company? So slope versus intercept. And then I was looking for complete diversity, right? So ads culture ads or team ads versus fit, Mm -hmm. right? So, and I'm really proud actually of what I've built. You know, I've got a mix of of genders, orientations, family dynamics, backgrounds, you know, some from traditional business, some who are founders themselves, nationalities, languages, different communities, because those are the folks that are going to help us to build a team that represents the merchants Mm. that we represent, right? And then lastly, underneath all of that, when we talk about diversity of thought, a lot of different personalities as well, right? Right? Who can balance my strengths, who can complement, you know, where my gaps are so that we're actually building a more of a complete team versus like 
things that just automatically look the same. Yeah. And I think that's the crucial thing. I think when people obviously talk about like hiring for fit, it's really easy to think that it kind of means hiring very similar types of people and you can have very different types of people with very similar values. And that's obviously the aim because you need to be able to, as you say, it's adds to the team. It's like, we don't want 10 of the same people. We want 10 people with the same values who are very different. That's the ideal. Absolutely. Because we're looking for, when you hire a bunch of the same, you end up again with all the same ideas. You don't represent your the community that you're trying to serve. And you end up with what I think is like a false sense of harmony. If everyone gets along and agrees, you've mm-hmm. got a problem. And when you've got like really true, like good diversity, hopefully you have really great healthy conflict that interrogates ideas, that stretches each other. So you end up with something really great. Um, and so that's the first thing that I look for. I feel like pretty much every founder or team builder will learn that the hard way. Yep. And you, you're just then like, right, okay, there's a reason. I, I read everything. I read everything that told me exactly how to do it. And I still was like, that person worked at somewhere great before. Perfect. Rather than it being like, no, this person shares similar values in terms of leadership style and all of that. And I will not make that mistake again because it is so, so important. I feel like I've done that exact same thing, particularly if it was an area or craft or discipline that I felt weak in, that I really went looking for someone that was just like, had a ton of experience in that area because I just needed someone who was super smart um, that I could trust. And that was often a mistake I made. Cause again, mm. I forgot to go back to, did I look for character, integrity, values, and all of those things first and slope versus intercept? Or did I just look for someone that was just incredibly tenured, had done it over and over that could just bring the knowledge that I didn't have? Cause again, I was second guessing my own leadership. Right. And talking about that, I'd like to talk a little bit about imposter syndrome. Now I'm always really careful when I bring this up with women, because I think that a lot of the time, well, first of all, I find that I'm always asked on interviews about imposter syndrome. And it's also probably because we don't see women in leadership positions. We particularly don't see women of color in positions that they should be in. Mm -hmm. All of these different things that it's like, of course, someone has imposter syndrome if they can't see anyone else within that space that looks like them. And I always want to be very careful about being like, do you have imposter syndrome? It kind of like, it kind of insinuates like you should, because actually the way, you know, we see leadership is white men a lot of the time so I'd like to talk a little about a bit about that and your experience with it if you have had an experience with it so really early on when I was at the market research company Mm. you know and I was like I said I was in those boardrooms with those you know VPs of sales and and the CEOs of these companies and the restaurants and all of that again generally a fairly older demographic often just you know kind of a white dude environment I think two things happen right A was they would see me as this like young girl who couldn't possibly know as much as them in some cases, not all. I had Mm -hmm. actually some really impressive and supportive clients who treated me like an equal in the room, right? Which shouldn't be a surprise. Which shouldn't shouldn't (laughs) be a surprise, but I just want to, but there was, it happened enough times that it caused me to second guess myself. Mm. And, And then from the flip side, so what that ended up doing is me starting to question how I was showing up in the room. Right. And like, do I need to act a different way? Mm -hmm. Do I need to be more bold and aggressive so that they listen to me? Do I need to dress a certain way? Mm -hmm. Right. I, and I'm, I don't know about you, Grace, but like over the course of my career, I swear I've gotten like the advice in every direction, Right, dress more femininely, you know, so that you get the attention of, or you know what, you really need to dress down your femininity Mm -hmm. to like, so that you take control. And like, I just confused myself. Well, either way, it's going, there's going to be a problem with that, I would right. say. <laughs> and so it actually took me years mm-hmm. to just say, fuck it. Yeah. I'm going to show up as me. Yeah. Um, and actually, I've heard um, Bozema St. John say this before mm-hmm. in a podcast, and this really resonated with me, which was, uh, she said that when she stopped worrying so much about how she was showing up and just allowed herself to show up as her authentic self all of that energy could now go towards being kick-ass at her job. Right. Right. Otherwise we put all this energy into trying to be something, show up as something. And then you're like, you're, you're learning and how you show up in your work is going to suffer. Mm. Well, I look back at when I'd first started to, I guess, lead a team. So when I yeah. first started to work more, essentially my businesses became my job, my full-time job. Mm-hmm. And I think my imposter syndrome then meant that I was a far worse leader Mm. because I felt like I needed to act in a certain way so I felt like I needed to act like you know almost imposing opinions or views or 
demanding respect from people in a way that I actually as a person would never do. Like the way I work with people now is the way I talk to my friends. That doesn't mean that you can't say, do you know what? This isn't there yet. Yeah. I need that done again. And we've talked about this before. Like, let's go over it if there's an issue. Like there's, there's ways that you can say things without it being a problem. But I felt like I needed, because I don't think I'd necessarily knew how to be the right leader. And therefore, because I couldn't see a, like a woman doing it that I could kind of, you know, jump on, I kind of thought you need to be almost mean in order to lead. And that was my way of almost garnering respect because I was like, no, I'm telling you what to do. Because in my head, I assumed, well, no one's going to take me seriously. So I'm going to make them take me seriously. And actually now I'm a far better leader. I'd like to think because I'm able to be like, it's not for me to convince you to take me seriously. I'm, this is how I'd like this done. And this is how we're going to do it. And I can back it up and that's fine. And I can be really nice about it. But I feel like I was such a bad leader for so long because I felt like I needed to lead in a certain way that was this kind of very like male attributes thing that I'd been told almost be less feminine to be a leader and it just made me like I'm great at leading now because I'm a nice human being like and and I kind of feel like that's the difference where I don't know I feel like it can really manifest don't you feel like though that um you kind of had to go through doing it bad for a little while in order to discover that there was a better path because that was the same for me I'm similar to you in that the first time I was leading which was at that market research company I was actually an awful leader Mm. and it was because a I actually hadn't thought about going from individual contributor to leader being a career change right I hadn't thought about whether I really wanted to do that and why I was doing it Mm -hmm. and like you said I didn't know what it really was to lead. So I thought I had to show up with all the answers. Mm -hmm. I had to show up decisive and point people in the right direction and and know all the things. And so there was no vulnerability there Mm -hmm. at all. And so actually when I flipped over to tech, I actually went back to being an IC for a little while, Mm. only about four months. Uh, But the second time around for moving into leadership, now I was making a conscious decision versus just being a high performer that was promoted Mm -hmm. into the role. I had a better sense of like, why I wanted to do it, uh, that it wasn't about me mm-hmm. uh, and and that it was really about building and giving because we were in tech, we were in hyper growth. So it was about building and, and getting people moving in the right direction together. Um, and then at Shopify, particularly over the last six, seven years, I've really started to hone in on like, what are my superpowers? What does it mean to be a great leader? Realizing actually that this is my life's work mm. is to be able to demonstrate to the world that you can build great organizations through great leadership. Because as we've seen over the last few years, there's a lot of bad leadership in this world. Mm. Like you can build like with vulnerability and empathy and and build like great engaging organizations that are growing mm. quickly while being a woman and a woman of color. Yeah. So I would say that as well within that point of kind of the leading with vulnerability, leading with kind of kindness and all of these things, I do think it must stem back to the idea of like the the male leadership thing that we've kind of learned as in rather than saying bring your great qualities to leadership it's leadership looks like this because we know it looks like this and therefore replicate and I feel like as you said in the kind of point about being decisive showing up with all the answers all of these things that is exactly what I would do I would show up thinking say I'd be asked something say I didn't understand five out of seven words in the sentence (laughs) I would pretend I did. And like, then there would be like a decision and I'd be like, yeah, this one. Rather than like, there is no world that I would feel like I'd need to do that now because I have enough confidence as a leader. But I also think that a lot of, because young men and especially young white men like we'll see in a position it's kind of like almost expect to be in there that's a kind of huge generalization but you can see something that someone that looks like you in that role so you don't feel like you need to alter yourself hugely whereas like now I would go into a room where I have to make a decision and it would be like hey actually do you know what I don't know much about that can we just get some data or can we go through that for a second so I can fully understand that before making a decision yes and Every leader I've ever had that has led in that way, I've respected far more and I've been able to learn from far more. And it was kind of like this sudden switch that I was like, oh, that's how you do it. It's not about actually just like imparting like, no, we're doing it this way because I say so. And like, that's that. A hundred percent. I've really started to make it 
my career to study what I really think great leadership, mm. but like from a flip side, what does followership actually mean? Right. What do people want to follow? Mm-hmm. Like you just said, right? Those that actually showed up and asked questions and create space to like, to be vulnerable. Those are the ones that you want to follow. Mm. Right. And it was the same. I've, there's a book by John Maxwell called mm. developing the leader within. Mm-hmm. And actually in there, he talks about these five levels of leadership, right? Right. Like level one is positional leadership, right? Mm-hmm. So people have follow you just because of what your title is and kind of because they have to Mm -hmm. all the way up to what they call personhood, which is people follow you because of who you are. Right. Right. And what you represent. Right. It's not about title. It's about what you're doing on the everyday and all of these things. And you never need to kind of like reassert why it's like, this is, you know, and we're all doing this together. When you kind of had these moments of imposter syndrome, how would you deal with that? Ooh. So how I've gotten good at dealing with that, how about this, versus Mm -hmm. maybe how I didn't deal well with it before. I think two things. One is, I think I've got the right people around me now Mm -hmm. as well. And uh, I also have a coach that I work with constantly uh, around making sure that I'm self-aware, that I understand my strengths, that I'm showing up as my authentic self, that when I have those moments of of imposter syndrome, that we're actually talking through, what is the root of that? How do I get through it? Mm-hmm. But then also, like I said, I've got the right people around me or what I call like my challenge circle, mm-hmm. right? Really great people who are of diverse personality sets that I highly trust. Mm-hmm. And some of them are really close friends. Some of them have been really close colleagues now for the last few years. And I know, and they actually know they're in what I call my challenge circle. Mm. And so they know when I come to them that I'm asking them and I'm trusting them for real talk, right? So they can say, Shimona, you know what you're doing. Mm. You know you know what you're doing. Yeah. Get over it and move forward. I think that's really important, especially because we all have what you call a challenge circle in terms of like the people around us. And I think we go to the people who we need to confirm our biases when there's like a decision to be made. So if you want to be enabled on something, you'll probably go to your friend who's like, yeah, fuck it, do it. Like great idea. And if you buy that thing, exactly, you can't afford, you know, on the other side, like if you, if you want to be told not to do something, you'll go to your really serious friend and then they're like, do you know what? This isn't a good idea. Mm-hmm. And it is so important to kind of almost be able to reverse that and be really conscious of that. And I'm always, you know, I'm thinking if I'm going to these three people, I know what I want them to you say. You know what I want to hear. And being able to reverse that and just be like, no, no, if I can get that diverse input from all of these different personalities mm-hmm. and then make my decision that's going to be far more important I think that's taken me a long time to learn because I'm, I'm a very impulsive person as well and I'm very decisive so when I decide something I want to stick to it and actually it's taken me a long time to learn like if you're calling that person you know you're just going to just do it anyway <laughs> right cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So I'm guessing, and this is what I've had to do too, because I'm similar to you, is I've got a couple of friends who are really thoughtful, very pragmatic, Mm. really think about decisions before they make them. And I go to them to gut check and make sure that I've asked all the questions from all mm. the angles to then figure out whether I'm making the right decision or not. Yeah. And now when you have those, if you have kind of bad days around imposter syndrome or self-doubt or feeling like you kind of shouldn't be somewhere or shouldn't be where you're kind of trying to get to, what are your kind of coping mechanisms on those bad days? Ooh, uh, I go back to why I'm doing what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot, there's a bunch of work I've been doing for the last couple of years with my coach to really start to hone in on life's work. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I started to realize like I'm doing great work for the companies that I work for, but I started to figure out through all the self-awareness, right? Mm-hmm. What am I good at? What brings me fulfillment? What is the actual impact I want to have on this world? Right. And therefore, what are the spaces I have to, how do I need to stretch myself? Mm-hmm. What are the spaces I need to put myself in? We talked a little bit about titles and things like that. And if my life's work, which is what I've kind of honed in on, is to demonstrate to the world that we can build great organizations with great leadership that builds engaging teams and diverse teams, 
and to widen the road for other women and women of color to come up behind me. Mm. Well, in order to do that, I'm going to have to put myself in positions that are prominent, where I allow the spotlight to be on me, where I probably have to think about like the titles and stretching for things in order to do that work, right? Mm. Which means I'm going to be scared. (laughs) I'm going to be putting myself in positions that I'm not sure if I can do it because I haven't seen others do it before. I have to go back to, but Shimona, you said that this is the thing that you want to do for the world. You got to go try this. So I think that's really valuable because I think it's almost saying when you have imposter syndrome, that is a almost a thermostat saying you're doing the right thing. I'm on the right track. Because if you're putting yourself in a situation where you haven't seen someone like you before and you haven't felt like you could even get there, perfect. That means you're pushing all your boundaries. That means you're Mm -hmm. pushing the boundaries of societal expectations, all of these things. And it kind of confirms that, that's the direction you need to go in. A hundred percent. And then I also call a couple of my yeah. confirmation challenge circle folks, right? right? Who will remind me, right? Mm-hmm. Shimona, you're doing good things. Shimona, you're awesome, mm-hmm. right? I some, ever, some, ever once in a while, we all need to hear that. hundred percent. Right? And so I've got those that I can call who like can pump up my ego and remind me that I'm doing the right things for the right reasons. Lauren Paddleford, uh, used to run Shopify Plus, constantly will tell me like Shimona you can do hard things Mm -hmm. you're absolutely right I can kind of coming back to leadership a little what do you feel like your best traits as a leader are Mm. so there's a few skill sets I think that all leaders need to develop Mm -hmm. and then you're right there's some characteristics or like values by which we need to show up with I think that from a skill set perspective as leaders, we all need to be great at like, if there's some fundamentals, like we all need to be great, really great at hiring. We need to be great at setting and holding high standards. Mm-hmm. We need to be really great at creating the conditions for success, mm-hmm. like clarity for people. Where are we headed? Right. Communicating. We need to be great at, at creating psychological safety so that mm-hmm. people feel like they can show up, that they can take risks, that they can fail, that they can grow. Uh, we need to be great storytellers mm-hmm. and we need to be able to build great relationships. Mm. So I'd say within those, my superpowers have probably been definitely hiring. I'm Mm -hmm. really proud of the organization that I've built. And I can see that in the organizations that they've built. Like I went from, you know, 12, 15 people, as we were saying a few years ago, and the organization's now, you know, seven, 800 people. And I'm so proud of everyone that's that's come on board. I'm also really great at relationships, Mm. right? I'm good at building trust and connecting with people and being vulnerable and really learning and understanding like what drives and motivates people and then allowing them to fulfill their passions, what drives them within the work that they're doing. Yeah. And in terms of barriers that you've kind of come across, especially as a woman of color in leadership, I know you said that we should definitely talk about this. What would you say those have kind of manifested as throughout your journey in terms of the barriers that you've had to either leading people well or even getting to the positions of leadership? Mm. So there's been things as simple or as ridiculous as, you know, when I've been put forth to go do talks, you know, obviously for for some of the work that I do, uh, questions coming back to our teams asking, does this person speak English? Because with her name, it sounds like there might be an accent issue. So like that in itself has been like- It's so problematic. <laughs> right? And like, that's the most basic thing. Even things like that, like there's the, this advanced assumption that either I don't speak English or I'm going to have an accent that it's not going to be understood. Uh, and I'm born and raised in Toronto. But even if I did, that shouldn't be the issue. Right. It should be the content, right? If we're all, if we're building diverse environments where we're really mm. learning about different cultures. So there's been things as basic as that. Mm. But then there has been, right, either that assumption that I'm going to be, that I'm either overly aggressive or overly assertive because right. I'm a woman in leadership right. and we must have had to have been yeah. like a super bitch to get ourselves yeah. there. 100%. Or again, in the way that I've chosen to lead vulnerability, authenticity, building really great high-performing teams, not just trying to be the loudest person in the room Mm -hmm. all the time, asking questions. That can, of course, if you've got a super aggressive A type of leader um, or environment of leaders, then that can kind of come off as like, well, that person's not opinionated enough. Right. They don't know what they're doing. We just need people who just who are just going to run and make decisions. It's not the right way to build an organization, in my opinion. Of course. And I think that, I mean, it all comes back to the types of traits that we attribute to leaders are the same types of traits that we attribute to men. Mm-hmm. Like, as in, like, that's, the, it's 
systemic. It's like part of the way we've like we see leadership and we've seen companies being, you know, built and also led. And therefore it's always like I almost think that what we often overlook is that we're not just going for kind of gender equity in terms of the leadership, but actually changing our views on leadership in order to be symbiotic with different traits that you kind of expect. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There will be so many people who are kind of going into leadership positions and find themselves in leadership positions as well, because we, you know, when you move up through the ranks, you are moving up through managerial kind of settings as well. And I feel like we're we're also not necessarily trained to be leaders or managers. Like mm. it's almost seen as when you get good at your specialism, you become a people manager. Right. But how are those two things? They're totally different careers. Mm-hmm. When you move, let's say you're a salesperson, when you move from salesperson to sales coach, sales leader, that is a complete right. change in careers. You happen to know the craft that you're coaching or leading, but the craft of leadership is its own craft. And you're absolutely right. Most people, like I said, I did that the first time. I didn't realize that that was what was happening. Mm. I And so I didn't know how to make a conscious decision. And so that's actually something that we work on a lot at Shopify is leadership development, but that includes leadership preparedness. Yeah. And I feel like that's a mistake I've made a lot as well when, when building the business here at Tala is the fact that, you know, you give some someone a promotion and you're really excited about it because they're really good at their job. Yeah. But actually, if you don't support them well enough, if that's their first step towards management, then it's not setting them up for success. And that is your job as a leader to be setting them up for success. I feel like it's one of those ones where you think, oh, you've got really good at X, which is your job role. Therefore, you will have, you know, someone's coming in underneath you and you're going to be promoted to manager. And that's really exciting. But actually, if you haven't defined the parameters for success for that manager or even just talk to them about being like do you know what you're 24 you haven't managed someone yet this is going to be your first time doing that yeah actually these are the things that I found are really important lack of kind of mentorship it doesn't need to be an official mentor but just like communication with someone who has done that before I think is so important and definitely something I've overlooked a lot and has meant that I haven't necessarily set people up for success when I've been trying to you know I've been trying to promote them and give them something exciting but actually they have not had the preparation to be a manager and therefore it's really hard for them to go from just doing their job to doing their job and also leading people. You know, it was such a great lesson to have learned, right? Because I think we're, uh, particularly in like high growth environments, we can sometimes default to just throw them in the deep end, right? And just, and they'll figure out how to swim. Mm. I actually don't know if that's the right way to do things when people are switching from like from IC to leadership. They do need some support and understanding and prepare. They need the, you know, like the the ring to help support them and keep them afloat for the first little while. Um, and you're absolutely right. It's our job to make sure that they do that well, right? They understand what they're doing, why they're doing it. Because I also think it's a really scary spot to be when we promote those folks. They were really great at the thing that mm-hmm. they were doing. And now for a little while, they're going to be really bad at this new thing. And that in itself can be incredibly difficult and really weigh on you emotionally, right? So we have to help them through that transition. 100%. And I want to speak for a second about uh, women in tech. Mm. I'd love to know what you'd say to women who are perhaps a little bit afraid of going into tech because yeah. of the the barriers, the kind of boundaries, the biases. If you could speak to someone right now who was kind of thinking of going down that path but was yeah. probably a little bit worried, what would you say to them? We need you, mm-hmm. right? Um, and we talk about this, right? If if we don't have great diversity in the teams that are building the technology, then there'll be bias in the technology that gets built, right? right? It doesn't get built for the audiences that we actually intend it for. Like at Shopify, you know, we've got an incredibly diverse merchant base that is global. You know, it's urban and it's rural. It's almost half women. And so if we don't have women who are in their building for women entrepreneurs, then Mm -hmm. we won't build the right thing, right? Mm -hmm. And so we absolutely need you. And again, so then I'd go back to the advice that my parents gave me, which is if it doesn't work out and you figure out you hate it, great, then go do something else. Mm. But I would always say, just give it a shot because you don't know the impact you could actually have and the kind of learning there is in tech, right, to be had. Like it's such, it's so much fun Mm. when you're in an environment where you get to really build and shape something and then see how it impacts a customer, a merchant, an entrepreneur on the other end. Yeah, no, I think that's so valuable. And also what you said earlier about kind of, what's your bigger goal? One of the best things about that, I guess, despite obviously the statistics being really awful about, you know, women in STEM subjects, I think it's what, 
23% of people working in STEM are women, which is really, yeah. really quite low. I think one of the amazing things about then deciding to go into tech as a woman or you know, any of the other areas of STEM is that as well as you doing your everyday job, you also get to pave the way for other people who kind of want to go into that. And I think that as much as that shouldn't be each individual person's battle to fight, yeah. it's also really valuable in being able to be like, do you know what? You're completely right. It might not work, but actually you get to try and you get to try and do something that really makes a difference. And who knows, someone below you might see that even just for one day and think, do you know what? I can get there. Absolutely. I'd say it's the same way that I went and I tried social work and you know what, for me, that mm. was the thing that was too hard, mm. right? And I knew that it's going to be for someone else, but at least I tried it. So I'd say the same to women, right? Like they shouldn't beat themselves up if they got to tech and realize it is just not the right environment for them, mm. but at least they will have tried, right? And for me, I'm the one that realized that my life's work is going to be to widen the road for, right? So mm. now I can focus on how do we ensure that we've created the right environment and space for more women to enter, to choose tech, to choose sales, you know, and other revenue and commercial kinds of careers, and then to be able to progress and see success in whatever that means for them. Yeah, no, I think that's really, really important. And when you switched to tech, did any of those kind of fears about that gender disparity kind of realize themselves in any way in terms of the, you know, the lack of people there or the way you were treated? I actually have to say, and maybe this is the reason why I've had the success I mm. have, that I've been actually incredibly blessed to be in a couple of great environments. Right. You know, so the first company I was at before Shopify was based in Berlin mm -hmm. and they'd actually built a glo a young global organization right? Um, that was based in Berlin, like literally from every part of the world. And so we had a really fun, young, dynamic, incredibly diverse environment, which made it a little bit easier, again, to start to see your way through all of that. And then when I got to Shopify... Uh, I was telling you, right? I came here because I fell in love with the people. Yeah. Right. Uh, like the guy that hired me, Mark Bergen, um, who's been my boss actually almost for six years now, is easily the best leader I've ever met. He leads with empathy and vulnerability. And I saw in him actually the kind of leader that I wanted to become. Right. And then Lauren Paddleford, you know, who was leading Shopify Plus at the time, was is like a phenomenal leader and knew how to um, really motivate a team, but led with a lot of softness and empathy when he was talking to you one-on-one. -on -one. And both of them have been incredible champions and allies for me. Like, so mm -hmm. I've, I've ended up actually with, with really great supporters and allies in my journey, which has probably made it a little bit easier for me. Right. So if there's anything I would say to women is when you do choose an environment, try your best to also choose the people you're going to work with. Because right. what you're going to need likely is really awesome people who are supporters, who are allies for you that you mm. can be around, right? And I found that there were mentors, supporters, allies that I've actually been able to surround myself with. And you said that what you're kind of trying to create is very much a space where women feel like they can come into and it's not yeah. they're not going to be othered in any way and they're going to feel like they can progress in the same way as anyone else. How can that type of environment be created in the workspace? It all starts with, like I said, the people and the values and the characters, mm. right? And so uh, Mark Bergen and I, as we started originally building like the sales organization for Shopify Plus, we were very adamant that we weren't just going to find quota crushing, like give me my number and leave me alone salespeople. We, at, we intentionally made a decision that we were going to find really great people of high integrity who wanted to be customer focused, who wanted to be in a team environment. Mm. And so we hired for that which means we looked for good humans, right? And we looked for team players and we looked for people that wanted to better each other. We really looked for people that we knew were going to become allies for each other and want to create the right environment for each other. You have to start with the right ingredients if you're going to get the right result at the end, which is a great environment for women or any underrepresented group to be able to work. You have to start with building it from scratch. Mm -hmm. And the mistake I think that often can be made uh, particularly in hypergrowth, is like we just need to get bums in seats. So you start to mm -hmm. let your standards fall a little bit because you just need the people in seat. And where I think that we did well early is we actually didn't, we never lowered our standards, mm. right? Because sometimes you can say it's like, okay, just need the people in seat now and then we'll get to diversity later, right? right. We'll solve for that next year. 
it'll be harder later than it is now. Yeah. So start now, start early, and then you can actually build the right environment. And how would you say for people practically trying to grow very fast and get people in those roles, how would you, because often, right, it's really hard to find the right person for a role. And at some point, you know, once it's been three months of not finding someone, it gets difficult. Mm -hmm. How would you recommend that people prioritize both diversity and getting people in the roles while they're kind of vacant and you need to be growing fast? I work really closely with our talent acquisition organization mm -hmm. and, uh, and and partners. And when we've sat down, and like I said, when I was trying to build my SLT, myself and Luke, who was my talent acquisition partner at the time, he and I had a really great conversation of what my intention was for the kind of organization I wanted to build, what I was looking for in my SLT is like, Luke, when we're done hiring, you know, these, you know, 10, 12 people, this is what I'd like the result to be. Mm -hmm. And so he and I went on that journey together, which means that he was, he spent a lot of time um, tapping into networks that were maybe non-traditional. He spent a lot of time in sourcing versus solely just taking in applications because mm -hmm. applications, particularly in tech, tend to be like just, you know, white male driven. Yeah. Because uh, not a lot of women are coming in or people right. of color. So we spent a lot of time with intentional sourcing in mm -hmm. a lot of places. We tapped into networks and communities that we wouldn't look for. And once again, right, we weren't necessarily always looking for just the perfect experience I was looking first for character, integrity, mm -hmm. and culture add, and then also a skill set that I wanted to work with. Yeah. So it's intention up front as to what we were going to build together, uh, a lot of sourcing, and a lot of tapping into communities and areas that we um, that wouldn't naturally happen, and just not we weren't hiring just by application. Yeah, and I think that is so 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 important, and it yeah. is just kind of showing it's it's not too difficult. It's just about the way you do it, and yes. having that inherent in your hiring process mm -hmm. makes it just makes it happen your interview process as well. We made sure there was diversity on the interview panels, right? So we ensured that we were bringing lots of different personality types, different genders, all of that of to the panel so that we didn't insert bias into how we um, assess people and brought them in. 100% and so, so, so important. I want to do a little section on side hustles. Sure. I personally started my side hustle yes, with, a Shopify, with a Shopify plugin. I mean, that did great things for me. That was actually the only way I was able to kind of get up and running so quickly. It was about a 12-hour process um, from inception to actual launch. So um, I wanted to... I've asked people on Instagram to kind of send in their questions in terms of starting their side hustles, anything kind of around that. Firstly, to ask what you recommend for people wanting to start, start their side hustles now with the presence of platforms such as Shopify. I mean, it makes it so easy in so many ways. And I'd love to hear your advice for that. Sure. Uh, in fact, I was just at London Business School mm -hmm. Uh, and they actually had a global conference where they brought in professors from around the world in Seattle and Harvard and all of that, mm. talking specifically about entrepreneurship and business. Mm -hmm. I was leading a panel with a couple of our merchants, both women of color, mm -hmm. on Shopify and no-code entrepreneurship and how it can empower entrepreneurship, particularly for underrepresented groups, where it's so difficult to get funding, right? We of know course. women get like 2% of VC funding. And so this is where I'm really proud is that Shopify actually does make it easy, like you just said, you know, 12 hours to get your store up and running. So we had um, we had Rosh with us who runs Alighieri Jewelry, um, and she started her company eight and a half years ago, mm. again, out of her parents' home. She'd studied like French and uh, Italian literature in yeah. school, realized she was unemployable, and wanted to start a business. And she was easily able to, like with her brother's help, figure out how to, you know, like build a Shopify store and, and start to figure out how she could, you know, develop and create this jewelry. She took a class in order to do that and really just started to build mm. from there, as well as Omolola Jewelry, two young Nigerian sisters, uh, again, in the London area, who started um, Omolola actually as a side hustle. Uh, one was studying her PhD in law. One was a speech pathologist, I think. And they decided that they wanted to sell African-inspired jewelry to connect with their community mm. as a side hustle. And they started it with 200 bucks and absolutely no experience. And it's actually become their full-time hustle now. Mm. And so my advice always is, is find a platform and technology that allows you to get up and running quickly without a ton of expertise needed. I have no technical skills whatsoever and I can build a store. Mm. Take advantage of our 24-7 support. They're there to help as you, as you get going. 
and just start because you don't know what's going to happen unless you just start and you play with it yeah there's a book called the lean startup for people who don't know and the whole concept around it is about getting a minimum viable product out there so your first product that can relate to your audience in some way it doesn't need to be your end goal app it doesn't need to be your kind of end goal product whatever it might be but it's about getting something out there that gives you direction in terms of what your customer wants what they respond to what marketing they like all of that and I think Things like Shopify and being able to build it so easily made that minimum, my minimum viable product was a PDF. Like it's turned into an app now and that obviously took hundreds of thousands to build and I never would have been able to be at that position at the time. But actually that took me 50 pounds. It took me 50 pounds to ask my friend to mock up uh, the PDF to make it look nice. She was a graphic design student. And then I built my Shopify site just using a theme. And then I downloaded the kind of digital download plugin so that every consumer who purchased it, a customer who purchased it would get it delivered straight to their email. And that was it. That That was literally it. And I think that minimum viable products used to be much harder and now even if it's just like a quiz to your potential customers even if it's a pdf even if it like whatever it might be getting that out there as quickly as possible you never want to get out there with your perfect product and if you think it's your perfect product you launch it too late too late a hundred percent i love your story because it actually summarizes everything that we're trying to do at shopify which is remove all the barriers to entry to entrepreneurship. Mm. Um, and for me, particularly proud that it's that we can do that for underrepresented groups. But we've also like reduced the cost of failure to almost zero, right? And so there should be no fear right. in starting and giving it a shot, right? Like you said, you started with 50 bucks. Mm. Omalola started their business with 200 bucks. And like you can just get going and see what happens. And it can be on the side of all the mm. things we're already doing. So there's no risk to it. Well, people always used to say to me, they were like, how did you take the leap to start your business? And I was like, there was no leap. Mm-hmm. Like there was literally a bit of work getting it up. And then it was like, oh no, I, I will be the first person to say I struck gold. Like I I did mine took off very quickly and I'm obviously kind of hugely grateful for that and that won't always be the case but if it hadn't it would have cost me 50 pounds yes like and that that's it and to be able to have access to tech like that now 15 years ago I mean not even 15 years ago we would just be I mean you'd be paying Mm -hmm. so much for that which is exactly why especially for diverse founders that would have been almost impossible because if we know now how bad the stats are imagine how bad they were 10 15 years ago now I want to get some of these questions sure um so literally just the tiniest start how do i start moving onwards from so this person's on facebook marketplace and she wants to make it a business so how does she take the step to move from facebook marketplace to move to having a it might be a storefront it might be whatever it might be it really is as simple as go to shopify.com go to start a trial. We do free 14 day trial where you can go in, you can figure out how to like build and design your site, be able to upload pictures of your products. Think about the channels that you want to connect to, how you're going to take payments. We've got 24 seven support that's available when you run into any walls and, and can figure out how to move forward. But, um, I think it's really great that the person started with the marketplace. That means they've got an idea of the products that they want to sell. They probably have a little bit of an idea of their customer base. Mm -hmm. And now with Shopify, they can actually start to go multi-channel, right? Which is truly now reaching your customers wherever they are. Um, and if they've got some demographics, they can think about how they're targeting, where do they want to focus on? Who is their customer going to be? What is the story they want to tell them? But go start a 14 day trial. Yeah. And so this person's asked, how do you judge with a business if it has the potential to grow, to take the next step before taking any big risks? This is such a hard question to answer because if you and I take a look around at some of the businesses that we've grown, that we've seen grow phenomenally over the last five or six years, how many of them are just like, I didn't know that could, that idea yeah. could be such a big thing, mm-hmm. right? And so I really think that it's, if you really believe in the product or the problem that you're trying to solve and that you've got enough feedback, so we talked about minimum viable product, but you've got enough feedback around like what your product fit is and you truly understand, A, who it is you're solving a problem for, what is the problem you're solving, Mm -hmm. in what way you're doing it uniquely, and that you've understood what roadblocks you might come up against. Is is it easy to duplicate? Is there another competitor that can do it? What is the unique story that you want to tell? 
go for it. Yeah, and I think there's there's two things that I would kind of say in response to this question. Tell me. The first would be minimum viable product and actually just getting getting as much information on your kind of customer and what they want as physically possible. And then also just just trying it, Mm -hmm. just kind of like whatever it might be, get it out there, suss it out. And then I'd say in terms of scalability as a whole, the really clear pointers to whether something is scalable is whether it's restricted by your time. So for example, something artisanal will be limited in its scalability. You absolutely can get multiple other people to be making it. It's going to be slower at scaling than something that can be mass produced on a larger level or that's digital, that's tech-based, any of these things. But actually thinking... How much does my the amount of time I can give to this limit its growth? Not in terms of you working on the business, but in terms of the actual product being created. For each extra one, it also, I think, is really valuable is knowing what type of business you want to build yeah. because not everyone is suited to building a big business. Not everyone is suited to having a small lifestyle business and actually deciphering how scalable do you want it to be? Because at the same time, if something you're not going to be able to keep up with the demand and you do want it to be smaller and more artisanal or whatever it might be, I think that's really valuable to know too. Yeah, funny story. Uh, as you were talking, I realized I've been through this exact thing. About 10 years ago, I started a side hustle. Really? Um, I, I was an excellent baker growing up. And everyone always had told me, like, Shimona, you really should be doing this as a yeah. business. Um, and so I finally decided to start. I did it as a side hustle. Um, I had some corporate accounts. I was doing like wedding showers and mm. like corporate accounts, like cheesecakes. And at that time, the cupcake thing had just started. So I was doing a lot of cupcakes. It was called Sugar Mama. Love and that. oh yeah, it was so much fun, but I hit the exact wall that you were talking about. It was like, there's a point at which I'm either going to have to make a massive investment into OPEX and, and like kitchens and staff because it's either me and my effort solely mm. or a really big like enterprise. And that was actually the moment that I made the decision that for me, the risk wasn't worth it. Mm. Right. I didn't want it to take up all of my time. And I wasn't ready to put in all of that investment into something that could just be a fad, right? When it was cupcakes at the time. And so for me, I ran into that exact same scalability wall you talked about. Yeah, I know. I absolutely love that. So this person's asked, how do I overcome the fear of failure in knowing whether to turn my side hustle into a full business? One foot in front of the other, right? I think I've done this myself where I've psyched myself out sometimes when I start to look too many steps ahead. Mm-hmm to like, I'm going to uh, have X position or I'm going to build X size business or I'm going to have X impact in the world, I get very overwhelmed, right? And so even though that might be sitting out there somewhere for me, it actually needs to start with like, to make it actionable and to not freeze myself, I got to focus one foot in front of the other, one foot in front of the other, one foot in front of the other. But also, and this is, I know it's hard to internalize and I know we hear it, we hear people say it all the time, but failure is a part of success. Mm-hmm. And the faster that we as business people, as entrepreneurs, as anyone get used to that and try and get comfortable with that, the failure is actually what leads to success, right? And we won't, we haven't seen a single amazing business been built that didn't start with their stories around, I like, I heard no you know, 872 Mm. times before I got the yes, right? So-and-so, you know, said they would never invest in me or told me this was a stupid idea. Like the guy that founded FedEx got a C on that project in university Mm. and was told it wasn't viable. And now this is FedEx today, right? (laughs) You've heard Steve Jobs talk about the no's. And anyone who's built anything great Mm. has had to go through failure and I know like we're, we're raised to believe that failure is wrong, right? We grades in schools, all of those things. And then as entrepreneurs, we actually have to flip that mindset to realize that failure is actually a good thing, right? Failure, Toby Luca, the CEO of, of Shopify says this, failure is actually just the discovery of how we don't want to do it again, right? right? Great. Okay. I've discovered one way that's not going to work. What's the next way? And so that's actually my advice is you gotta get, you're going to have to get comfortable with failure is actually the path to success in one foot in front of the other. Yeah, I think that's really important. And it's, I guess, all around the idea that if you're failing, then you're doing it right. If you're failing, you're going in the right direction. If you're failing, you're showing yourself either directions that you don't necessarily want to go. Like you cannot, you cannot expect to set down a path that you don't know where that path goes and know that it's going to be the right direction. Yeah. You have to each time 
you come into an obstacle and it shows you how not to do something. I know it sounds so annoying when it's like, it's a learning experience, but it is. You didn't know that until you had that. Like every single, you know, mistake I've ever made or I've talked about on this podcast has been the only opportunity where I would have learned that. I think, you know, when I talk about the mistakes I've made in terms of hiring or leadership or any of these things, I read countless books that told me exactly those things before. Yeah. Like I heard it. I knew the whole like, if it's not a fuck yes, then it's a no. Like, if yes. it's a, you know, like all of these things. And still, time and time again, You're I made in the, the mistake. <laughs> yeah, and like, it's yeah. it's so natural and we cannot learn without doing the majority of the time. And I still would yeah. encourage people to read a lot. And, it, you know, when you read a lot and absorb these things and tell people tell you what not to do, you probably learn faster after you've made the mistake because 100%. you're like, I recognize it. I see why this person said this and you're able to take their word for it. Yeah. But I really do think that, I mean, as you said, you cannot get anywhere without failing. And I also feel like you're not pushing the boat out enough if you're not failing regularly because fucking hell do I fail every single day of the week, at least in one thing. And I think that if I wasn't doing that, then we wouldn't be going in the direction that we needed to be going in. If you're doing all the things that you knew guaranteed success that you knew the outcomes of, then you would just stay in the same place, Uh right? It wouldn't be about growth and stretching into new areas. Yeah, and I actually think, I'm not going to ask you another question. I think that's a really, really good place to end. I think that that is so powerful, what you've said in terms of failure. And I feel like we all need to kind of internalize and think that more. But thank you so much for coming on. This has been incredibly insightful. I've learned a lot. And yeah, I really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. I learned a lot too. So I really appreciate being with you. A group learning session. (laughs) Thank you so much. That was great. Thank you. I really, really, really enjoyed that. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.